Welcome to the Game Changing Health Podcast. I am your host, Gianna Beasley. I am a registered dietitian and certified personal trainer. And I am so excited to have you here because we are going to talk all about how to change the game of your health in ways that are realistic and sustainable. We're going to talk about hot topics. We're going to talk about how to get to the root cause of your health issue and talk about how through nutrition and movement, we can create a life that you love and can live fully. Thanks for joining and let's dive in. When I first start working with new clients or when I'm connecting with people on Instagram, which is where you can find me hanging out most of the time, a big question that everybody has when they're trying to figure out what is going on with their health and with their bodies is where to start. And typically the first place for a lot of people is going to be with labs, but there's a lot of labs out there to request. So how do you know what to do? Well, the good news is I got you. I made a freebie for y'all. It's called Labs to Request Annually that breaks down common labs to request every single year preventatively, and then also some additional categories on additional lab markers that you can request if something doesn't feel quite right with your body, and also what to do if you're not having luck getting those labs done in traditional channels. So be sure to grab that freebie by joining my email list below. The information is below in the show notes, so don't miss out and go grab that. If you have questions on it, slide into my DMs on Instagram. Welcome back to the Game Changing Health Podcast. I'm Gianna, your host, and this week we're going to be talking about elimination diets. We're going to talk about what it is, why you need one, what you should do if you need one, all that good stuff. So we are going to jump right in and just chat right about it. So I wanted to bring this episode specifically to you guys because in recent weeks, I have been seeing an increase in questions that I've been getting myself as a dietitian, but also I've been seeing more and more on social media about people posting that they've been removing entire food groups and that's like a magic cure. And the reason that people are removing all of these food groups and all of these different foods is usually for one of two reasons. People feel like they're reacting to them. So they feel like these foods are making them sick. And so they are taking them out because that's what they've been told to do on social media or they've taken a test that says to take these out. And a lot of people that take food sensitivity tests are usually in a spot where they're not feeling well and they are probably reacting to foods for one reason or the other. And so their solution is to, you know, buy this test that's marketed really, really well to people. And this they, they take this test and it comes back and it gives them a report of all these foods. Usually it lights up like a Christmas tree for the majority of people, but it gives them all these foods that they're allergic to and what they need to remove. And then they think that they'll automatically feel better. And unfortunately, that's really not the reality for people because if you've gone the majority of your life and you haven't been reacting to foods, and then all of a sudden, you know, maybe it takes a couple years to progress or even just a couple months, if you then start reacting all of a sudden to a bunch of foods, that's not normal. Something else is going on underneath, right? And so an elimination diet in and of itself is really strict. Um, So an elimination diet, kind of like by definition, right, is basically a period of eating where you are removing foods from your daily intake for the sake of this conversation, we will call it your diet. Like not like a diet like keto, but like like literally like your dietary intake diet, what you are eating on a daily basis, right? So an elimination diet basically involves removing foods from your diet diet or dietary intake that you suspect your body can't tolerate well. And then at a later point, those foods are reintroduced one at a time where you look for reactions to those individual foods that you're adding back in. A couple things to highlight here. It is very short term. 
elimination diets are not meant to be used long-term. They should really only be lasting, like the initial elimination period only should be lasting about four to six weeks, depending on you and your individual body and your symptoms and you know the suspected things you're reacting to, but four to six weeks max. Then you start adding things back in one at a time after that initial like removal period. And so it is not meant to be long-term, like you are not supposed to take out, you know, a dozen things and leave them out for months. That is absolutely not what this is supposed to be. And something else that I should mention just like right off the bat here is elimination diets should be done with the supervision of a medical professional, specifically probably a dietitian or your doctor. If, if you know, they're really up with it and they are on top of it, they can oversee it as well. However, um, usually you should always have a dietitian on board if you are needing an elimination diet. You should not need an elimination diet as the average Joe, right? Like, or average Jill, <laughs> average Jill Joe. <laughs> so realistically, if you're needing an elimination diet, you need a medical professional because something else is going on. So another like little disclaimer here too, is if you think you possibly have like a medically like possibly life-threatening allergy, like true food allergy, not food intolerance, then you should absolutely 1000% only ever do an elimination diet under the supervision of a medical professional. Think of it this way. If you are wondering if you know some of these severe reactions that you're experiencing is causing something, possibly maybe like even like really like severe allergies, like even anaphylaxis, you should 1000% be in the presence of a medical professional when you're adding these allergens back in, in case you need medical intervention. So please just keep that in mind, (laughs) please. And thank you. Okay. So really common symptoms, right? That could lead people to possibly need an elimination diet. I'm just going to give you big ones. Changes to bowel, like bowel movements, bowel habits, stomach pain or cramps, bloating, um, nausea, diarrhea, constipation, rashes or skin changes, joint pain, headaches, or migraines. Migraines is actually a really big one that I myself struggled with um, for certain foods. And then we found out it was like passed down through the family. And I was like, wow, <laughs> lovely. Love that for me. So um, that is actually a really common one. Now, if you're chronically dehydrated and never drinking enough water, you can't really chalk that up to a food issue or a hydration issue until you get your hydration up. Just throwing that in there too. Um, fatigue, difficulty sleeping, and changes in breathing. I think I already maybe mentioned bloating slash distension, but just in case I didn't, also throwing that one in there. So basically, those are very, very common symptoms of someone struggling with a food intolerance. And so that could lead you to wanting to do an elimination diet. So again, an elimination diet is basically broken into two phases. You have the elimination phase, which is usually like anywhere from, I'd say on average, people will average about four weeks for the elimination phase. Now, that being said, some people can do a shorter elimination phase depending on their symptoms. Like if you have literally every symptom that I just checked, we may need to do a bit longer of an elimination phase of, you know, about four weeks, five weeks, six weeks. Six weeks would be the absolute max I would ever keep someone away from all these foods. So then once we have all these out and a lot of these symptoms have subsided, right? Because if you are removing these foods that you think you're reacting to, those symptoms should subside and you should actually start to feel better because they're not in your diet. So moving forward, 
we then would do reintroduction. So you slowly reintroduce one food at a time. So each food is like in, usually on average introduced every like two to three days, as long as no symptoms resolve. If symptoms pop up, um, we do want to basically like take a few days to let those symptoms kind of go away and then introduce the next food again. The most common, I would say, food groups or food items that we see people need to remove are things like nuts, corn, soy, dairy, citrus fruits, um, nightshade vegetables, and also like cruciferous vegetables, wheat, gluten, pork, eggs, and seafood. Now, you may notice some of those big allergens um, were in that list there. If you're not familiar what the big nine allergens are, they are milk, eggs, nuts, fish, crustaceans, shellfish, wheat, soy, and sesame. So some of those were also in that list that I just gave you. And again, I cannot emphasize this enough. You need to be with a medical professional, a doctor, not even a dietitian, honestly, if you are having any like major reactions to any of these big allergens, because you do not want to risk going into anaphylactic shock somewhere where there's not a medical professional. Okay. Um, So please just keep that in mind. But those are definitely kind of the most common things that definitely can create some unwanted like GI symptoms that people can struggle with. Right. And so you will add those back in like one by one to try and see kind of what causes any symptoms, what doesn't cause any symptoms. Realistically, everybody is different. And so when we're looking at an elimination diet, it can be very restrictive um, and it can also cause a lot of, mm, what's the best way to put this? It can cause a lot of kind of negative feelings or unhealthy feelings with our relationship to food. So it can cause fear around food. It can cause fear around meals. It can cause fear around how we're going to feel afterwards. So there's a lot of fear involved and something that a lot of my clients um, have had on deck when we've had to do an elimination diet in these more like severe cases is actually have a therapist on deck so that they can be getting the mental health support that they need while we do the nutrition side of things as well, right? So while an elimination diet is typically pretty restrictive, most of the time, like most fruits and vegetables are included. Like you can still eat those. You can still have a lot of things. However, I know I just gave you guys a list of like things that are normally excluded, but in being honest with you, again, you should be only doing an elimination diet under the supervision of a healthcare provider, whether that be a doctor or a dietitian or an NP or a PA or whatever. Um, but realistically, your healthcare provider should help you customize the list of things that you are going to remove based off the symptoms that you're experiencing. And also some probably like pre-elimination diet homework. I'm never just going to give like a blanket general list to a client that I'm working with on what we need to remove an elimination diet because that is not customized to them at all. And I never want someone to remove food groups unless it's absolutely like necessary. And so that's something else to keep in mind as well. So realistically we have, right? So to recap, we have the elimination phase, we have the reintroduction phase. When we're in that reintroduction phase, we're looking for some of those symptoms to come back up, right? Um, There are a few other types of like more specific um, elimination diets. I'm not even going to like kind of 
talk about really like all of them in depth, but they're a couple like really more common ones, I guess I would say, are low FODMAP diets. So this removes FODMAPs. Um, FODMAPs are short chain carbohydrates that some people struggle to digest. However, if you're struggling with FODMAPs, something usually is going on underneath. That's what I got for there. There's also like rare food elimination diets. So um, it's basically like flipping the script, instead of eliminating things that maybe you're eating commonly, you're eating things that you rarely ever eat. So there's just some really weird ones out there, but the kind of what I just described to you is like the most common one. It's what I would medically recommend if somebody needed one and we were going to work through one together. So benefits of an elimination diet, again, in the short term, it can help reduce like symptoms of gut dysbiosis or gut issues, right? So um, bloating, stomach cramps, gas, all of those things are typically improved when you are going through an elimination diet because you're likely removing something that's been irritating you. It also can help people with eosinophil, oh my gosh, this word, eosinophilic eosophagitis. Okay. Or we're going to call it EE for short. So basically in this condition, allergies trigger inflammation of the esophagus. And so it can actually then create issues with swallowing foods and increased risk of choking. So elimination diets can also help with that, but again, not forever. Um, it can also help resolve like skin conditions like eczema. Again, not forever. I sound like a broken record, but I'm just going to keep going with it. So it, it definitely has some benefits and can give people short-term relief. But long-term, if you were to stay on an elimination diet with a bunch of food groups removed, basically what you're doing is depriving your body and your microbiome of diversity. And when we aren't eating enough variety in our diet and we aren't getting enough fruits and vegetables in and we are removing entire food groups, that absolutely will have an impact on your microbiome. It will have an impact on the gut bacteria that you have. It will have an impact on your overall kind of like gut health as well, intestinal permeability, all that good stuff that you hear about. So we don't want to keep it out forever. Realistically as well, if you follow an elimination diet for longer than what's recommended, you could create nutrient deficiencies, which then not only would create issues for your gut, but it's going to create issues for all of your body systems, your sex hormones, your thyroid, all that good stuff. In children specifically, elimination diets that are followed for too long can also stunt a kid's growth. Um, so we don't want to do that. And then also removing things for too long, specifically in kids, can actually then create issues with those foods, like more serious issues later on down the line. So specifically this, I mean, this episode, my whole podcast really in general, my life in general is geared towards adults, not kids. But if you are having issues with your kid, please, please, please go see an allergist. Please. And thank you. So... Again, cannot emphasize enough, these are short-term solutions, not long-term solutions. So let's talk about now, we've talked about what an elimination diet is, right? But let's talk about the difference between a food intolerance and a food allergy, right? Because a lot of times if we are needing an elimination diet, we're looking at like a food intolerance. So basically there's, there's a difference, right? There's a difference between a food intolerance and a food allergy. So a food intolerance basically can cause signs and symptoms as a food allergy. So that's why people confuse them a lot, but they are not the same. A food allergy impacts the immune system. So even a small amount of that food can trigger kind of like a variety of symptoms that can honestly be life-threatening, right? Like anaphylactic episodes and things like that. So a food allergy impacts you systemically, like whole body typically, and can be very, very serious, very potentially life-threatening, right? Then 
on the opposite side of things, a food intolerance is typically going to impact more of the digestive system and maybe like you might get like a rash or something like that, but it is primarily focused on the digestive tract. And you may, with a food intolerance, be able to eat small amounts of those foods without any issues. It's more, it can then, the issue can come with the quantity of what you're consuming rather than like the food itself, right? So a good example of this is a lot of people are lactose intolerant, right? So what does that mean? While they're missing the enzyme. So people can drink lactose-free milk or they could take lactase enzyme pills, otherwise known as lactate, to supplement that enzyme and then not have a problem. So food intolerances definitely can stem from a couple issues. There's like four, three big ones, I would say. Number one is you're missing an enzyme somewhere to fully digest a food. Lactose intolerance is like quite literally the perfect textbook example of that. Um, The second one is you could have like a sensitivity to food additives. Um, And so if you are sensitive to those, that can definitely play a part in that. Um, And then the third big one is typically we have some underlying, this is what I see most commonly in practice. We have underlying like dysbiosis in our gut, whether that be we have overgrowths of bacteria, we don't have enough good bacteria, we have pathogens present like H. pylori, parasites, what did I see this last week? I saw E. coli this last week. I saw Giardia this last week. I saw H. pylori this last week. And I saw parasites this last week. And all of those people that had those issues were all reacting to foods that they had not reacted to, you know, historically. Um, And they had just come on, you know, whether it be in the last couple of months or the last couple of years. So there's that. Um, Now, realistically, It's important to know the difference between these two things because if you were doing an elimination diet, we're not looking for a food allergy. We're looking for a food intolerance. But just doing an elimination diet, I'm going to shoot it so straight with you, just doing an elimination diet does not mean that you're just going to solve that issue. Because again, I cannot emphasize this enough. If you have not always had these intolerances to food since you were you know, young, if these intolerances have showed up over the last couple months, weeks, months, years, you likely have an underlying issue that is creating these intolerances. So doing an elimination diet is not going to solve your problems. It's going to be a band-aid to a solution or yeah, a band-aid to the real solution because realistically, If these have just popped up magically and you're having all these issues with different foods, something is going on underneath. I'll give you my own personal example for this. I started reacting to foods. I straight up could not even eat at places that I used to eat at like because I am celiac and because I am very careful about where I eat because of that um, and because of my other allergies. I usually eat at the same places and I, this was a couple years ago, started reacting to foods, like different foods that I hadn't been reacting to. I couldn't even make it through a meal. Like I would be halfway through my meal and I would be sick. And I know for a fact that like I had been able to eat this before. It was no problem. So all of these new issues kept building, kept mounting. Um, And so sure enough, found out that I not only had, I had H. pylori, I had candida, I had overgrowth of bad bacteria. I was missing some good bacteria. But once I fixed all of that, I was completely fine. So if you are struggling with these different things, know that you are not meant to live with these intolerances forever. You have something going on underneath and you should be working with a provider to figure that out. So please keep that in mind. Something that I would be irresponsible to not include is talking about food sensitivity tests. 
This isn't going to be a full comprehensive thing on this. Maybe I'll get one of my um, favorite RD friends to come on here and talk with me about it. But I am just going to give you a note. Food sensitive IgG. So IgG. Food sensitivity tests are a waste of money. If you have taken an Everly Well food sensitivity test, it is a waste of money. They are not the only company that offers these, so I'm not coming for the company specifically. They have some other tests that are actually like solid. Great. But IgG, food sensitivity test specifically, that one individual marker that is basically what a test, like a food sensitivity test that you take at home, that's what it looks at. Almost all of them. You can go to their website right now and look at it. They are a waste of money. And honestly, I said what I said and I meant it. I mean it. I mean it a lot. I will not sit here (laughs) and fight people who are utilizing these tests specifically to mislead people because that's just not even worth my breath, my time, or my brain. But if you have been duped into taking one of these tests, I am sorry. You were scammed. You were either marketed really well to or misled by someone that should not be not be allowed to do what they were doing um, whenever they misled you. So let's talk about this a little bit because a lot of people that I've been seeing on social media being like, oh, I removed XYZ food. I'm doing an elimination diet. Again, probably not with a medical provider, but whatever. Um, You know where I stand on that. They basically took one of these food sensitivity tests and it it, it showed them all of this stuff that they need to remove. And these tests are not accurate in the slightest. And when you take one of these tests and then remove all these foods, you are doing yourself a disservice. 100%. Um, And I wish I could literally scream this from the rooftops and get this out there for everybody, but it's just the science is not there. It does not back it. So how does IgG testing work, right? How do these food sensitivity tests that these people pay you pay like pay good money to market to you that you pay good money for work, right? So these food sensitivity tests look for these IgG antibodies. So these antibodies are in your blood in relation to each food that they're testing and looking for. But IgG testing is not actually recommended to diagnose food allergies or sensitivities by several professional organizations like literally like the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. That was a lot of letters in there, but quite literally, the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology does not recommend using these tests because IgG antibodies are produced as normal responses to food intake. So basically, these antibodies are just indicating that the food has recently or repeatedly been consumed. If you want the PMID study for that, happy to give it to you. Hit me up. Let me know. Um, So for example, if you eat chicken and eggs frequently, chances are that food sensitivity test is going to come back and show that you have a sensitivity to those because you eat them regularly. Um, So food-specific IgG does not indicate any imminent food allergy or intolerance, but rather as an indicator for immunological tolerance linked to activity of regulatory T-cells. If you want the PMID for that, I'll give it to you as well. Um, Just let me know. But basically what it's saying, right, is like the marker that all these tests are looking for are just looking to see if you have tolerance to these things. And if you're eating them regularly, they will show up. So according to that lovely American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology, (laughs) the presence of IgG is a normal response of the immune system to the exposure of a food. And higher levels 
of IgG4 to foods may be similarly associated to tolerance to those foods, right? So why do we keep seeing these tests everywhere? What does that mean? It means that they have a great marketing department. And when we as humans don't feel good, we are so desperate for answers that we are willing to spend the money on something that is marketed as a promise to make us feel better. Plain and simple, right? These companies are basically preying on the frustrations of people and marketing to it. So removing foods from your diet based off these tests are not recommended, one, due to the lack of evidence. Um, but it can also lead to over-restriction, unnecessary removal of foods, disordered eating patterns, um, and the potential for macro or micronutrient deficiencies. So if you are having issues, I cannot emphasize this enough. If you are having issues, please work with an allergist or an immunologist or a registered dietitian and a registered dietitian really to dig into these deeper issues. So we can trial elimination diets with medical supervision. We can get to the bottom of this. We can look you know, internally to see what's going on. We can do a lot of things that don't require you to remove foods forever. So I wanted to kind of clear that up with this week's episode and keep it shorter and sweeter this week because it is just something that I've been seeing all the time. One thing that I do want to say now after going through this whole episode being like, do not do this. If you are someone that has eliminated foods for months or years, possibly because you thought that was the right thing to do, please reach out to a professional, work with them to work on getting those foods back in your diet, figuring out the real reason why you aren't tolerating those. You may true and well genuinely have an allergy or an intolerance to something, but we want to understand why it's there and make sure there's nothing we can do to improve that. Because like I said, the majority of people that I see that come to me with intolerances, they actually don't have an intolerance. They have an like a forever intolerance. They have a short-term intolerance caused by something underlying typically in their gut um, or their environment. I've seen actually a lot of people develop issues due to things in their environment as well, like mold. So please, 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 if you take anything away from this episode, please go ahead and see a professional if you're having issues and reactivity problems with foods. If you have questions about elimination diets or food sensitivity tests or anything like that, please feel free to slide into my DMs. I have loved connecting with some of you guys recently over like my H. pylori episodes and my Manjaro episodes, and there will be another Manjaro episode coming soon. Um, so stay tuned for that, as well as my amazing guests that are going to be on the podcast in the next couple of weeks, just like as a, a little teaser here. I'm very excited to have some really, really incredible brains on the podcast in the next couple of weeks. So Hopefully this helps. If you are someone that is thinking they need an elimination diet or is maybe stuck in an elimination diet, please reach out to a provider for help so that you don't get stuck there forever. Until the next episode, stay happy and healthy and thanks for listening. Thank you so much for listening. I cannot tell y'all how much I appreciate you from the bottom of my heart for being here and tuning in to the podcast. If you have a second, you can scroll and leave a rating and review for the podcast. It helps me help more people like you. And I would really, really appreciate it. If you have any questions on this episode or any other episode you've listened to, just as a reminder, come find me on Instagram. I'm at dietitian.gianna. It is linked down below in the show notes as well, but please come connect with me on Instagram. If you have questions, if you need help, let me know and I'm happy to help.